In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sometimes, to understand what is going on in our gospel readings, we need to pull them out of their original context and look at the reading with fresh eyes or through a different medium. So this morning, I want you to imagine that you are a film director reading through a script and wondering how you're going to set up the rich variety of scenes that need to be captured on film. Scene one, a man is running through the dirt streets of a city. He's middle-aged, and it's obvious that he's very frantic. We get the impression by his clothes that he is fairly wealthy and that he's not used to running. People are looking at him perplexed, especially when he knocks over a basket of figs and doesn't even stop to pick them up. Something very much out of character for Jairus. While he is running, he sees a mass of people, and he starts to yell, Jesus, Jesus, and he pushes his way into and through the crowd. We don't know what's wrong yet, but Jairus is not going to be stymied by the crowd. Jairus finally pushes in, finds the man he's looking for, looking for and falls down at his feet, partially exhausted, partially relieved, and partially embarrassed, because now we will all know what Jairus wants. He's clutching the ground, or perhaps Jesus' sandals, perhaps even tugging on Jesus' tunic. And what he says is a mixture of desperation, groveling, and fatherly love. Will you come? You must come now, my daughter. Can you please? She's dying. I can't lose. I'll do anything you ask. Look, I'm in charge of the synagogue. Anything. But please, I know, I know who you are. I need you to come right now. Please come. Please, please, please come. We can't wait any longer. Oh, Jesus, please, Jesus, please, Jesus. And then the camera, it widens out. And we see this mysterious Jesus who we haven't seen in the scene yet. And he looks maybe a little startled, perhaps even a little confused about what's going on with Jairus. But he sees that the man is sincere, and he knows he can help him. And so it seems, at least from the version of the script that Mark has given us, Jesus does go with him without much delay. And the scene closes. And we now have the opening credits where the actors are named, you know, who play the main roles with some exciting music, maybe something by Hans Zimmer or John Williams. And then we are thrust back into the action. Scene two. The crowd is following Jesus and Jairus through the streets. Jairus is running to and fro, trying to spur Jesus on a little. Jesus is heading there as quickly as he can, but the crowd are wanting to gaze upon this holy man, like when a celebrity is known to be in a downtown hotel and is expected to come out of the elevator at any moment. But then the camera picks up something curious. A woman is hiding herself in the marketplaces, dashing in between booths and pots and big baskets. And her head is covered, so we really can't make out a face. 
But what we can tell is that she is worn uh, by age, by anxiety, by worry. And it's obvious that she has a pressing need and concern. But we aren't sure who she is and what she wants. And no one around seems to realize that she's there. Now, remember, we're directors. So as the director, we jot down in our notes that the music must start a crescendo into a climax as she gets closer and closer, trying to keep up with the crowd. And she reaches for Jesus. And as she reaches for the sleeve or part of the fabric or maybe even his back, and she touches it, and everything stops. The music stops. Jesus stops. Jairus stops with this stunned expression. The crowd stops because Jesus has stopped. And then there's some commotion, and the street is in utter chaos. And above all of this, we see Jesus turning from side to side, looking intently at each face for a split second, knowing that there's someone in the crowd that is hiding from him. And with everyone pressing on him like a mob, he asks the most ridiculous question. Who touched me? And he asks it several times, each time a little more emphatic, who touched me? And he begins to weave and wrestle his way through the crowd, looking around like he's lost something of great value until, for the second time, someone throws himself at his feet and starts a semi-coherent narrative. I did. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. But you see, I've been sick these last 12 years. And, and you're this great man and this great healer. And, and I thought that if I just touched you, I would be healed. Because, because you have so much power. But please, don't make me sick again. I know that you healed me. I know you did. And all I had to do was touch your clothes. And she says all this, partly weeping, partly crying, partly out of fear, partly out of joy, and maybe partly because sometimes that's all we can do. Jairus, in the meanwhile, is completely besides himself. Had he not made it clear to Jesus that he needed to come now. And now we are delayed. And who knows how long it's been? Two minutes, three minutes, ten minutes. The problem is we didn't have much time. And now that time is fleeting quickly. Every second is bringing his daughter closer to death. And he goes up to Jesus and he keeps tugging on Jesus while he's having this conversation with this old woman about faith and peace and healing. And Jairus had to be thinking, come on, man, you can have that conversation later, but I need you now. And now we transition from scene two to scene three with Jairus still tugging on Jesus and some new characters come in. 
and they go up to Jairus. And at least one of them has tears in his eyes. And they give Jairus the words that we all dread to hear. It's too late. There's nothing more to do. She's gone. Don't bother the doctor or the professor or the judge anymore. Come home because it's time to mourn. Now, if I was directing this for the television, I would have the Jairus actor collapse to the ground in a heap, completely stunned. Knowing that he was so close, but close isn't good enough. Did he wait five minutes too long? What would have happened if that meddlesome old woman hadn't been around? And, and why me? Why my daughter? This is not supposed to happen. Jesus is right here, and these types of things don't happen when Jesus is around. The darkest day has descended. And even though the sun is shining and someone else is rejoicing because they were healed, everything seems hollow and life has no purpose because my daughter is dead. And we see a figure come and stand next to him and he puts his hand on Jairus' shoulder and says some words of her, a mixture of grief and hope and assurance. Do not fear, only believe. And the band of people begin to move again, except this time it is Jesus leading the way, pulling Jairus with him, telling him not to pay any attention to the wailers and the mourners, perhaps even telling him to keep his eyes on Jesus and look forward. And the camera moves and we're disoriented watching the scene because what we see is we see Jesus and Jairus go to the edge of the screen and vanish. And we're left with the crowd until scene four. And we're standing inside the room of the house. And the door opens. And standing in the threshold is Jesus with Jairus. And Jairus is trying to wrestle his way into the house. And they come into the house. And a stunned Jairus and the little girl's mother see the girl. And they know she is dead. But Jesus says something else that is absolutely ridiculous. Don't worry. She's just sleeping, resting. And then, very tenderly, Jesus goes to the side of the bed, 
sits down on it, perhaps strokes the girl's hair or face, and says, just like a father would say, it's time to get up, my little daughter. And the camera zooms in on the girl's face, and she takes a deep breath like someone waking from a nap. And she stretches, and she smiles, and she gets up and tells her parents that she's hungry. And Jesus smiles, perhaps with a glint in his eye, and leaves quietly. Then cue more dramatic music because that's the end of the episode. But what does it all mean? We need to be like a good director or even a good movie watcher and look for the clues and the symbolism in the story. And when we do, we will understand that Mark is telling us a story about life and the restoration of life. Everyone in this story is being restored to life. How we know this is through a writing technique that Mark uses, which we actually call by a rather silly name. This is a Markin sandwich. I kid you not, that, that's the real name of, of this technique. But, but anyways, anytime you're reading the gospel according to Mark and you see that a story gets interrupted, like Jairus being interrupted by the woman, we know that Mark is telling us to look for clues that these two stories are related together and there is a larger picture, a larger message to look at. And the clues come from the end, the waking of Jairus' daughter to life again. But what about the woman? She wasn't dead, right? Well, she might as well have been. In Jewish culture of the day, there were many things that could make you ritually unclean. If you were unclean, you had to separate from the community while you were in that state. There were many things that could cause you to become unclean, like touching a dead body, being around lepers, going into a Gentile home, or as a woman, you could give birth, and that would make you unclean. But also having Cycles of bleeding would render you unclean for a period of time. You could not go shopping for food. You could not work. You couldn't go to the temple or associate with the synagogue. You were cut off. Now, this woman has had a medical problem for 12 years other than some family who might leave some food in a basket by the door, or maybe going to see the next physician who came into town, this woman is for all practical purposes dead. She is cut off from her friends, her family, her community. 
And it's not that she did anything. And it's not that she can do anything. But somehow, either through news that reached her house or someone leaving a note or maybe something kind of like a newspaper clipping, this woman hears about someone who might help her, who might be able to actually heal her. And while the healing of the bleeding is important, we must remember that Jews believe that it is blood that contains what gives us life. This woman is now able to be restored into the community. She is able to have life again. She's no longer forced to isolate or quarantine. And we all know how that feels even for just a little while. But she is able to live into a fullness of life once again. And part of that fullness is indeed being in a community. Now, remember that this woman has been effectively dead for 12 years. But how old is the little girl in our story? That's right. She is 12 years old as well. So Mark is trying to tell us something. Old woman, little girl, each has a 12 as a significant number in their narrative. In the gospel passage, Jesus speaks to the girl in Aramaic. And being 12 years old, this girl was probably nearing the age of being betrothed, of getting married, and beginning a family, which is also a symbol of new life. As children are born and grow up in that household. But 12 also has another significance, which would not have been lost on Mark's hearers. Twelve is a symbol of Israel. This young girl, restored to life, is also the restoration of life to all of Israel. She is a symbol of Israel being restored, renewed. And Mark plays a clever little game with us as readers because we all know that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one coming to restore Israel. But time and time again, the characters and even the disciples don't put all of this together. So we have a woman who is restored to life and community after 12 years. And now we have a little girl who is restored to life to help build a community who is 12 years old. But what about our little friend Jairus? When I read this passage, I see myself as Jairus. I have faith and then I don't. I plead with Jesus and then I become disheartened. I ask for healing for friends and families and Sometimes it's like Jesus 
isn't even listening. He's too busy with other people's problems. And I can get impatient and demanding and depressed and then full of hope only to become despondent again. Really, I think we are all the Jairus character. He is us. We see everything happening. We know the news of Jesus, what he is doing, and what he has done. But what we really need sometimes is to stop. Perhaps out of exhaustion, or out of frustration, or because all hope is lost. But we need to stop and listen. For Jesus to say, do not fear, only believe. And when we hear those words, and perhaps feel Jesus' hand on our shoulder, we realize that hope really isn't lost. But sometimes, too, Jesus has to drag us back to where we need to go or where we need to be. And all the while he says to us, keep your eyes on me. Don't mind the crowd. Don't pay attention to the wailers and the mourners. Don't give any, any attention to the naysayers. I am here with you. Now you stay with me. And when we do, we can look and watch with amazement at what is happening in our very midst, in our circle of friends, in our hospital rooms, even in our shattered lives. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus like Jairus. Run to him and throw yourself down. Watch him tell a sick old woman that her faith has healed her. Listen as he tells a girl that it's time to wake up from a very deep sleep. Trust him when he tells you, do not fear, only believe.